All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. Again, it's now uh, Friday, January 22nd. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got uh, Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Bassini with me. I've got snow in my backyard, and I live in North Mississippi. Do you guys have snow? I know you don't, Sam. You're in L.A. <laughs> you probably, no shot. <laughs> Sam's probably never seen snow in, in – have you ever seen snow in California? No, no, I have not. I've seen like frost on the ground, kind of. But <laughs> you've I've had, never. You've had to put a coat on before. Have you ever had to wear a coat in California? Yeah, no, I, I've definitely had to do that before. Like whenever I used to have to go into work like early in the morning oh, uh, before I did this job, you'd have to wear a coat. But uh, once it hits twelve, it, you never have to wear a coat here. Norlander, do you uh, have? We uh... do not. Okay, so we do not have it yet. First of all, I will fully admit that I am a. Uh, I'm a winter weather like uh porn fetishist because what? i grew up from Vermont. i what? love yeah you 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 pleasure yourself to snow is that what you just uh, said no 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 i love huge snowstorms okay. I, I i'm so fascinated by them i think they're they're uh now listen they can be seriously dangerous and can cripple regions don't get me wrong they're not all positive but um when snow comes i get oddly and bizarrely fascinated we have not been hit yet actually when we're done this podcast uh, I was an idiot and just kept putting it off and putting it off and didn't get to go to the store. And we are like legitimately low on food. Like we do not, <laughs> we do not have milk. We do not have bread. We do not have eggs. Um, most me, importantly, we do we do not have ice cream. So I'm going to do that once we're done recording and the podcast is up. But uh, yeah, we've got this huge thing coming. You've already been hit. Um, I mean, and, it's, listen. When I say we've been hit, we've been hit enough to shut down my. Yeah, because well, it's different because you don't have the salt trucks in 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 the southern states. Like that's why people freak out over an inch because they straight up don't have the infrastructure well, to deal. With well, that's the thing, people. I, I'm glad you said that because most northerners do not understand this. Like they'll look at us, we'll get two inches down here, and they'll say, "Oh my God, two inches!" Like you and you shut schools down for two. We don't have the equipment, so like two inches, like does like you know, you put ice on the roads and two inches of snow. Like we can't, we can't drive. We don't have those t- the the equipment to clear the roads. We have to wait for. I mean, essentially, we have to wait for the roads to clear themselves. And so, two inches is, in ice is a huge deal down here. Whereas you guys wouldn't even blink. But it's simply because we don't have the equipment to to handle such right. things. Right, and it's good. So it's it's going to be uh, an interesting weekend because now, on a, on a college hoops perspective, you've got a lot of games that have been bumped and moved. Uh, some from Saturday to Sunday, some from Saturday or Sunday to Monday. Uh, there's already even been one that got moved into February. So uh, mostly the games that the most important games from the from the for the weekend are going to be played. But if you're if you're stuck anywhere along the eastern seaboard in the Mid Atlantic or even down as far south as as Tennessee uh, and and you know ice regions in Atlanta, the point is there's a lot of really good college basketball happening on Saturday. So uh, you'll be able to, to catch all that during the day and the night. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but you said something that's always been a pet peeve of mine. And you said, I got to go to the store and we got to get bread oh, and like- milk. <laughs> all right. I like, I like sandwiches, man. I feel a hot take coming here. Okay. Now listen to me for a second. You mean a cold take. Hear yes. me out. Hear me out for a second. Damn it. Uh, Cause that is what every, <laughs> it, it is not only what everybody says, it is what everybody does. Like, uh, my, my buddy, Zach Myers, who lives here in Memphis, went to, you know, a local Kroger last night and, uh, he tweeted like pictures of the bread. There's no bread left. Like everybody had gone in and bought all the bread. Everybody had gone in and bought all the milk. And that's sort of the cliche, but it is also what people do. Like you got to go get bread and milk. You better go get milk and bread. Do you know how mad I'd be 
if I actually did, first off, you're probably not going to get stuck in your house. Let's not lie to each other. But but even if you do, like, you know how mad I'd be if I went downstairs and, and I said, hey, Kelly, did you stock up uh, at the grocery store? You know, because now we're trapped here for a few days. And she said, yeah, I did. I got us a lot of milk and bread. I, I'd be so furious that I just had to sit around and, and, and drink milk and eat bread all day. Like, like you'd be like, hey, it's dinner. You want some more milk and bread? You know how awful that would be? Would that be awful? It's not just that cheap. I'm not old enough to have to deal with this like problem. I, I still live on like pizza. If I so. went, well, that's the other thing. Like, why don't I'm making go? pizza tonight? I'm going to get pizza though. That's that's going down without a doubt. And you know what? And you know what dough is? It's basically bread. Well, th- that's my point though. Like, why wouldn't you stock up on pizzas? Like, hey, hey, you know, why don't people tweet or why don't people go on local newscast and say like, why doesn't the weatherman say? Hey, you know, the weather's going to get really bad this weekend. You need to go to the grocery store and stock up on DiGiorno's. Like, that, wouldn't that make so much more sense? <laughs> it would. Right. In like, some ways. Hey, you need to get, you need to get, um, you need to stock up on DiGiorno's and, uh, and maybe like, uh, I don't know, macaroni and cheese. Like, macro- people like macaroni and cheese, right? Feel like well, really, a- really, what is pizza but milk and bread? That's pretty well, much it. Well, it's, pepper, it's also pepperoni. And, well, with that, yeah, there's a little there's protein. I feel like you're you're doing a nice little uh, test run on a radio bit here, GP. Which oh no! Can work. Oh no! I've done I've done I've done this radio bit before. Oh, you have. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is this is right up there with with why do we eat turkey for Thanksgiving? Why do we focus so much on bread and milk when we're gonna get uh, possibly snowed in our homes? We should focus on other things like uh, pizza, maybe uh, vodka, uh, of course. New Amsterdam vodka specifically because it's so smooth you can drink it straight. Sounds like you've done that read a thousand times. You get paid like $150 every time I say that. Um, <laughs> and and all, like uh, maybe some ground beef. I'd be down with that. And like some fillets. Like if we're going to be stuck and we have to eat out of our kitchen for three days, let's do something better than milk and bread. That's, that's the only point I'm trying to make. Now let's transition to something uh, else. And I, I want to start. I, I don't know if it uh, is proper to go from goofing around to talking about something serious. But here we are. Um, Colorado State's Emmanuel Amagbo. Uh, you know, earlier this week... Um, you know, played roughly 24 hours after he lost his mother and his father and a niece and a nephew to a horrific house fire. And uh, I know, Matt, you spent a lot of time yesterday um, really reporting this story. As I sent you a note privately, I don't have a problem saying it uh, publicly. It's very easy to write about things. On some level, that's what online writing is is becoming for 99% of the people who do it. You just write about stuff. You you let somebody else do the reporting and then you go write about their reporting and you know and whatever. And yet you spent a lot of time which I thought was impressive like really reporting the story yesterday and getting a lot of details that that nobody else had. And um it's just a heartbreaking story. Like um and and as you point out I I think two 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 different interesting things. One um this is very rare. People don't die in house fires like like um, like like this too often. I think uh, one of the officials in Maryland, which is where this happened, uh, told you that maybe twice a year they see something like this. So this is not a common thing. And then secondly, it, it, it's an it's an uncommon thing that could have been prevented possibly because there's no evidence that there were smoke alarms operating smoke alarms in this rental home, which is just. I mean, I, honestly, I, I last night I like I remembered that now we have like a hundred 
smoke alarms in our home, but I remember that one upstairs near my 12 year old's room wasn't working and I like went and got a battery and fixed it. It just sort of like popped in my head like, okay, yeah. gee, you know, like that, to, to die such a horrific death that could have possibly prevented just by putting, you know, an operating smoke alarm in the home somewhere is just, um, it's infuriating and, and, and also uh, incredibly sad. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts first on what I, I know was a difficult story to report, but, but, but uh, you know, also because you spent time talking with Emmanuel about this, spent time communicating with a young man who, whose entire world has been flipped upside down. I, I imagine it was uh, not only a tough story to report, but also a, stuff, uh, a tough story to, to retell. I, having done stories like that before, I know that by the time you finish, you, you can, even though three days earlier you were completely uninvolved in the situation, right. it can be emotionally draining for you. Without a doubt. So, yeah, give me a few minutes here because i got a, a number of thoughts and kind of some inside baseball stuff on how the story came to be. Um, yeah, this thing came – the the fire happened basically at 2 in the morning, early Tuesday morning in Maryland. Um, and I wasn't even initially going to necessarily chase this story, but then one of our editors kind of put it on my lap. And I said, okay, let me see what I can do. And Emmanuel was initially not going to talk. You know, this happened, and he told the coaches that he would, he has he has started every single game for Colorado State this season. He's a junior. He formerly was a standout junior college player. Took his junior college team to the national championship uh, last year in Texas. Um, so anyway, he's a really solid uh, role player for a Colorado State team. That's not an NCAA tournament team this season, but he's you know he's a legitimately good Mountain West player and. Uh, so for the first time this season, by pure coincidence, he was actually going to be taken from the starting lineup. That decision had been made uh, earlier in the week before his parents uh, had died. Um, some people had wondered if, if that, you know, if one thing caused another. That was actually just a pure coincidence. Um, but he insisted, regardless of that, that he was going to play. He wanted to play. It's, you know, a two-hour bus ride from Colorado State to Air Force. And that was pretty remarkable. What wasn't known was that... Air Force went to him, went to the school and said, listen, we can have a moment of silence for you and your family. He said, I appreciate that, but really I'd rather not bring any sort of attention to this. Why? why? Is it as simple as he, because that, 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 that stood out to me in the story as well. Like why, why reject that? I, I think he was not fully comfortable with that amount of attention on the tragedy at the time. Gotcha. And he was, he was originally not going to speak. Uh, he, you know, the local media there, uh, had asked to speak with him and he declined. He did not talk after the air force game. Um, I got him basically at the, I literally got him on his way to the airport to fly to Maryland. That's when he decided he was going to talk and he was riding with an assistant coach with Colorado state. And I have to say that his composure I had about, cause I've never talked to the kid. I don't know anything about his story. So I literally had about 40 questions prepared and you know, you know, when you do an interview, you automatically will have other questions that just pop up from answers that he gives you. So we talked for about 45 minutes on the phone and his patience with my questions, his clarity. Um, I'll be frank to me. It doesn't seem like the situation has completely hit him or at least it hadn't when I spoke with him. Now, as we record this podcast, he is in Maryland and it is, a, it, is a, it is a terrible coincidence that he is in he's he is in the heart of what is going to be this massive snowstorm, and so he's going with his brothers and sisters trying to figure out what they're going to do. There's a grieving process. His parents are from Nigeria. They're going to be flown back over to Africa to have a proper funeral there. So I, while I can't say this with 100% certainty, I don't believe he is going to attend be able to attend his parents' funeral 
um, because he's going to have to fly. He's got to fly back to Colorado State on Monday or as soon as he can get back out once the storm lets up. So that's just awful in and of itself. Now, he's, I would assume, will get to go back to Africa after the season, and perhaps there'll be a, another kind of memorial service that he can attend there. But that's another aspect that didn't entirely, I didn't put it in the story, but it's incredibly heartbreaking. Um, I do want to note that this story blew up. I, uh, I wrote the initial headline, and as I was writing it, Scott Van Pelt tweeted out a link to the GoFundMe page uh, because Colorado State is it is within uh, the NCAA's rulebook when a player encounters um, any sort of serious life event that would cause money to be raised, that can be done. And I just refreshed the page. We're at $84,785 for um, Amagwo and his family. When Scott Van Pelt tweeted out the link, it was at like $1,400. And he is the one... And he did a he did a bit on this apparently I did not see it but he did a, a little bit on it on Sports Center uh, on his show late Thursday night but really he is the one that brought like massive awareness to it and really pushed this and I think he helped spread the story so I think credit is kind of due to uh, to SVP in that regard because listen the kid you know he has five other siblings and you know his sister the mother of of the of the niece and nephew that that died. She jumped out of a second-story window to save her life, and there's kind of a mystery element. To I mean, there's a lot of facets here, and I know I'm kind of rambling, but I was just blown away by what he told me, what he revealed, what the fire chief told me. There were 100 people on the scene at this fire because it was 15-degree weather, and basically what you had happening here is neighbors outside the house screaming, two of his sisters on the front lawn who lived on the first floor that had to get out because of the smoke. And as firefighters are fighting this thing, water is essentially freezing almost immediately to their suits and their helmets. Ugh. And so it's making the job even harder. Like more than 16 firefighters had to barrel into the house and you had another 20 outside just trying to battle the blaze. Um, kind of a, just an, the, the fire chief told me that it was an extremely unusual amount of response for this kind of fire, but it was because of the location. It was in a very congested area because of the weather, all of it. And of course, now the the, the big regret is the the smoke alarms were working in the house. And the chief told me he said, "Listen, this is an issue with so many calls that we get." And I it it made me check my smoke detectors in my house. There are so many residences that catch fire, and whether you have and tragedies normally in terms of human fatalities don't normally happen. But regardless, if they do or they do not, it's because people have not updated or checked the battery on it. And he said it's just this frustrating thing that happens. It's like clockwork every time, not every time, but almost every time they go to a fire, it was because they didn't have a smoke alarm, they didn't have enough time, and if they did, they wouldn't have been able to put the fire out or minimize the damage to one room or one floor. But now the house is gone. He's lost so much of like trophies and memorabilia and personal effects that he had in that house it's just it's a huge tragedy it's been amazing to see how people have responded to this kid because listen colorado state is an unknown in college basketball without a doubt and, and no one knew who this kid was but now his story is kind of has blown up and i was not you know i was not the only one to write about it there were there have been a number of really good articles that have been written on him and the response around him i'm glad we took the time on the podcast to talk about it because it is a I mean, it is just a devastating story, and it's been kind of, honestly, it's been a downer you know, for college basketball with Andrew Smith and now this. I mean, you had two-year-old twin niece and nephew. Uh, I mean, and, like, and, I, I, and this was one of the last things he told me, Emmanuel, when I was talking to him. Basically, what happened is his sister, his sister is a nurse, and so she works late. Her husband, the father of the kids, 
is in Africa trying to help the money, help raise money for the family by selling cars. So he's not even there. He's got to fly across the Atlantic Ocean to bury his children. Okay, and the grandparents basically, it's in many African customs and in ways of life, the grandparents see the grandchildren as their own children. They take care of them uh, as much as their own parents do. And so you had a situation in the home where. Uh, Emmanuel's parents took took care of Anna and Israel as though they were owned so that the mother could work and be a nurse and work late. And it's why she might have been in a different room than the children when this all happened because the grandparents had put them to bed and and would have been with them. And while she might have gotten home late and didn't want to wake them up, that's why she wasn't necessarily with them. There's a very like poignant and searing level of tragedy to this um, that she was forced to jump out of the house to save her own life. I mean, think about what you have to do to literally jump out of a house while your children are still inside yeah. of it when well, you're a mother. Well, like, I, I, you know, to that and that, that poor woman, I mean, my God, you know, you, you on some level, even if she did, like, I guess I would say this, you know, and I'll tell you why I know this in a moment. Um, you know, sometimes like that, it, it's such a hectic scene. You, you can be unsure like who's out and who's in, you know, right? She could, in theory, okay. have been on the second level and 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 thought reasonably that her children were out. Now it was time it for her. It is believed, yeah, real quick. It is believed, we don't know this, I don't know if we'll yeah. ever know this, but it is believed that the grandfather, Emmanuel's dad, was trying to help people get out of the house when this was happening. So when I was in high school, like one of my very best friends back then and even today, um, uh, his sister um, was a, a mother of, of, of young children. And uh, the, their house caught fire uh, one afternoon, and she woke up. She similar story. She worked nights, so she was asleep during the day, and the baby was asleep. And and uh, I, I believe the 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 four year three or four year old was awake, and the husband was at work. It's a very similar situation, and um, the house catches fire, and the smoke like takes over so much that the little baby, this little bitty baby, just couldn't handle it. So she gets the baby and she gets the baby and drops him out the window. And she runs back inside to look for the three-year-old. The three-year-old had already panicked and run outside. Mm. She didn't know that. She went back in to try to save the three-year-old. And she then inhaled so much smoke that ultimately she, she died. The baby had also died. And, um, and, and my, my best friend, um, who was a younger, her, her slightly younger brother, like the, the guilt involved that even he dealt with because, uh, you know, at the time he was supposed to go there after school. Like the fire started at like 3.30 in the afternoon. He was supposed to, he gets out of school at like 2.40. He was supposed to go to her house to pick up something and just for whatever reason decided not to. And he, he, you know, for a while, I know he struggled with that and, and perhaps he still struggles with it today. Like if I would have just gone back in that home um, I've just stopped by like I was supposed to stop by. Perhaps I could have saved them. Like none of this would have ever happened. And um, on some level, I, I'm sure the mother will be dealing with guilt her entire life, you know, wondering if she should have gone downstairs instead of out, out the window. And even if she did the exact uh, right thing, and even if she did the same thing any of us will do, I can't imagine the guilt that you must live with on some level, knowing that you got out alive why your children didn't like I, that, that right. I, my, my assumption would be that eats at you forever and ever and ever.
Yeah, it's uh, and we can move on here from the sad stuff in just a second. But yeah, it, that is uh, a very um, just that's another uh, tragic. It's another. Me, tra it's another tragic aspect of this. Like it, it, four, like, four people, is, four people uh, died, and this other this woman who survived is going to deal with the like the uh, ramifications of this probably forever. Right. Exactly. And and I do want to say that you know. What the other shocking aspect to me, and it just there's there's a big element of mystery behind this whole thing. And I will say that the fire chief told me there was no suspicious activity suspected with this fire, but it could take. He's listening like that. We have to do autopsies. We have to treat this as though it's basically a homicide investigation, even though we're not. It's not. We don't think it is because they just autopsies on bodies can possibly reveal where the where the fumes and toxins came from and all that yada yada. Um, but this shocking aspect to me, or at least another element of mystery, is that. Emmanuel was texting with his father literally less than an hour before his dad was dead. And that happened because Emmanuel had been battling a pretty bad cold and some illness in, in recent days. And his dad, the screenshot is on the story. He, he sent it along. And his dad was just like, I need you to go. And I need you to, to tell the coach you're going to go to the doctor. You're going to feel better. You're going to do this. Tell me you're going to do this. All this stuff. So the element of mystery that's still in the story and that we'll probably never know is um, – did the dad ever fall asleep? And if and if he did, you know, how did the fire start? And, and if he didn't, how did the fire start? There's just there's a there's a really creepy element to his father being awake and and communicating with the son less than an hour before he dies, and then by two o three local time, you know, nine one one has been called. Fire is showing from three sides of the house. Uh, it's just it's it's just a total just uh, uh, it's it's the tragedy on this level. I just it's bonkers and yeah, the fact that uh, that it happened with the college bass it's just purely coincidental and and one csu official kind of told me like people were kind of discussing this and they're like would this be getting nearly as much attention if it didn't have a college basketball player and and you know probably right not. Wrong, the answer is no the right. answer is no but there was a college basketball player attached to it and now it's become this huge story and people are, are you know they have more awareness of it um but you know thoughts continue to go out with Emmanuel, who is who has handled this well and he, you know, you can read the quotes in the story. Yeah. He he basically said his father prepared him for this, and he he said people don't worry about me. I have grieved, but I need to be a man. Starting like right right now, um, just in, you know, incredibly impressive for him to to even be willing to speak. But he's clearly um, going through just an awful lot. And the fact that this snowstorm is hitting that exact area, like I don't even know how he. If they have to get places, they might not be able to get places because the snow is going to cripple the area. They're not going to be able to go anywhere. So that's just another. Um, element to this just uh, wild and tragic story. Well, for anybody who hasn't read the story yet, uh, Matt did a really good job with it. You can find it uh, right now at cbssports.com. Let's switch gears. Uh, Sam, you wrote about uh, Michigan State earlier this week. They've lost uh, three straight games now. And uh, like I said uh, on CBS Sports Network the other night, um, listen, lose, at I lose to Iowa at home when Iowa bangs home nine three-pointers on you in the first half. Like, you know, sometimes a team gets hot like that, and it, it's going to be a struggle. Lose at Wisconsin, not ideal in this particular year. Bo Ryan's not there. Frank and Sam aren't there. But still, it's the Cole Center. kind of makes sense of that. Can't lose at home to Nebraska. When you lose at home to Nebraska, it is undeniable that something's wrong. Do you have any idea what exactly is wrong with them? Uh, well, I, <clears throat> I, I do. It's the defense obviously uh, i mean they've given up i think over a point per possession five times in their last seven games after only giving up uh over a point per possession three times in their first 13 games and what they're running into is that 
teams are just really spacing them out, basically. I mean, Iowa's a team that can stretch the floor from four positions, sometimes five positions. Wisconsin runs that swing offense still where all five guys on the floor have ball skill and they all play on the perimeter and they can do a lot of different stuff. Nebraska basically did the same thing. They ran Siobhan Shields at the four and the five sometimes. They had Andrew White play big. And they just basically spaced out the Michigan State big men. And once that happened, they didn't really have recourse as far as defense. I mean, you look at what Michigan State is dealing with right now. Denzel Valentine, I'm not sure, is back to 100% yet mobility-wise defensively. So he's kind of a substandard guy there right now. Tum Tum Nairn is their best perimeter defender, and he's out. So the guards are able to get penetration at will. Glenn Watson kind of handled them, I would say. Uh, and then the Michigan State big men are not necessarily the fastest guys. I mean, I actually got I got called racist by some of the people in the comments for saying that okay. Michigan State <laughs> is not one of the most fleet of foot team. And people were like, yeah, it's because they're white. And I was like, no, I mean, Deontay Davis isn't really the fastest guy either, necessarily. You, you, got, you got to stop arguing with people all the time on, on social media and on messages. Yeah. I see you. It, I see you all the time. It's just like people. <laughs> like if you, you It know, is. It's you, frustrating. You, like, it's, yeah, people are always going to think you're something. You're biased. You're, um, yeah. you're uh, racist. You're stupid. You're, yep. um, uh, uh, they, they, they could question your sexuality at any moment. Um, yeah, like it, that's just sort of part of the deal. You, go look it, at, we're a part of the liberal media. Oh yeah. In, in fairness, we are part of the liberal media. <laughs> um, <laughs> in that way, anyway. you got me on that one, but, but uh, that's, but that's, what's going on basically with Michigan state. I don't think their big men are particularly quick enough. I think that just overall Michigan state's defense is having problems adjusting to the way they're calling games right now. Uh, with, you know, there being a greater emphasis on contact in some places around the country, I think we're actually starting to see a little bit of a regression toward contact being called a bit less often. I mean, we'll talk about that Gonzaga St. Mary's game last night, but there were points there where it seemed like, uh, I mean, really it was just inconsistent officiating, but they let that go for a good portion of that game um, and kind of let it just get physical beyond all heck. And, you know, Michigan state on the other hand is really struggling with it. It seems like referees know what Michigan state's going to try and do. They're going to try and put a body on you and, and try and slow down uh, your penetration by doing that. And they're getting called for it. So I don't necessarily know what the answers are right now for Michigan state beyond wait for Tom Tom to get back. Hopefully maybe Denzel starts to get a little bit healthier and maybe these big men continue to mature and blossom throughout the year and uh, get back to where they were early in the year because they're going to get spaced out by Maryland this weekend. I mean, Northwestern is a team that can get you like that. Michigan's obviously a team that's going to space you out. So Indiana's another team that's going to do it. They're going to run into this problem all the time in the Big Ten, and they're going to have to figure out a way to kind of slow it down and stem the tide. You mentioned Gonzaga. Uh, let's let's focus on the Zags for just a second. They took a loss last night at St. Mary, 70-67. They're now 14-5 uh, overall, 6-2 and two in the league. Um but that's not good. They only have one top 50 Ken Palm win. That's right. a victory over a Connecticut team. That's whatever. Um, uh, is this what they are? Do you think they're going to win the Western, uh, 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 the West Coast Conference? And um, if not, are they going to be able to get an at-large bid? I'm not sure they're going to end up with an at-large resume. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. And Matt, I'll talk about this really quickly. And Matt can jump in. Um, Gonzaga is at 14 and five. Like you said, their uh, at-large resume really isn't great. 
at this point. But you have to remember, they still have one big non-conference showdown left. Uh, they go to Moody Coliseum and play SMU on February 13th. Um, I think that that could be their last stand at this point because, you know, they're already six and two in the league. You figure they're probably going to drop at least one more game, maybe two. They have to go to BYU. They still have another matchup with St. Mary's. Uh, the rest of the league isn't going to catch them because uh, like they're probably going to be up to, I would guess, 20 in five by the time we uh, turn the calendar to that February 13th game at SMU because they don't really play anyone else that uh, can give them a battle beyond Pepperdine. So I, I would say that <clears throat> none of those wins are going to help them, though, as far as getting in at large. They right. really, unless they beat SMU, are probably looking toward needing to win the West Coast Conference in the tournament, win. I mean, not yeah, as far yes. as the and, regular season. And they season. can do that. And, that. and there have been situations over the past decade where Gonzaga has been facing down. It hasn't happened often, but sure. it's been a couple of times where they've been facing down this situation where you have to win the WCC or, or your streak of reaching the NCAA tournament will end. I think that's what they're going to face this season um, because here's the deal. That SMU game comes at the end of a four-game roadie. They play at Marymount, at Pepperdine, at Portland, at SMU. I understand that those three previous teams in the West Coast Conference aren't all that good, but four games in a row is four games in a row. Okay. Pepperdine caught uh, St. Mary's, by the way. Yeah, no, Pepperdine, and Pepperdine, generally speaking, in that league, pretty solid. Uh, and then they close out the season at San Diego, at BYU. I don't see how Gonzaga dodges this. I think they're going to enter the West Coast Conference tournament needing to absolutely unequivocally win that league to have an at-large bid just because I think that their losses will be piled too high at that point. We'll see how good the UConn win is, but it ultimately might not even mean that much because they're just not going to have that much heft in the non-conference overall because they have a win over Washington, and Washington right now is in first in the Pac-12, but I have my relative doubts over the strength of Washington. I don't know if that win is necessarily sure. going to become good to great by the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, Gonzaga's an issue. And, you know, not having Karnowski the rest of the season, that's clearly been a thing because sure. here's the deal. Like McCle McClellan played well last night. And if you look overall with like Wiltshire hasn't been as good as we thought he would be, but he has not been like busty without a doubt. Okay. He is still performing at a really high level and Sabonis has been really good. Right. But overall the defense hasn't been as I guess, as good as you'd expect. And on the whole, Gonzaga's offense, I mean, let, let's be honest here, it's its come at a downgrade that we did not expect this season. So it's been an interesting situation where they haven't gotten as much on the whole. We've mentioned the backcourt problems, and I think that's a lot of it. Because, honestly, you can't really fault Sabonis or Wiltshire for what they've done too much this season. Well, you, you know, know, well, how about this? Like, you know, we look at Kentucky's struggles, although, you know, they won at Arkansas last night, and we look at Duke's struggles, and we say, hey, what do you, you know, they lost a lot. Well, once you take Karnaski out of the equation, I mean, Gonzaga's down four starters from last year. Yeah. Sure. You know, they yeah, lost, four, lost four starters fair, from last year. Fair point, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll say this, too. I mean, I talked to someone on that Gonzaga staff even before the season, before uh, Karnowski got hurt. I mean, that staff will bend over backwards to compliment how good Karnowski is on both ends. They say defensively, he is one of the best rim protectors in the entire country. And I agree with them. Um, he is an incredible defensive player. And more than anything, I think that he is the missing piece for them defensively that uh, kind of would have allowed them to allow the guards to have a little bit more time to develop on the offensive end and stem the tide with turnovers. But uh, you guys are absolutely right as far as the guards. They just haven't come along in a way that uh, you would expect. Uh, just uh, uh, on the note of losing a lot from last year's really good teams, Kentucky has lost a lot. 
and uh, their freshman, although Scalabissier, since we've talked about him so much, very briefly, did perform well at Arkansas. He had 11 points and a couple of dunks, played with energy. I know uh, Sam wrote about that uh, last night. You can find it at cbssports.com. Um, uh, Duke lost a lot, struggling. Kentucky lost a lot, struggling. Again, at least relative to preseason expectations. Gonzaga lost a lot, struggling. Um, I do want to point out, Arizona. Lost yeah. four starters from last year. Three of those guys are in the NBA. Five-star recruit Ray Smith out for the year. Trier's uh, out. Five-star recruit Alonzo Trier uh, now out four to six weeks. And Sean Miller still got him at 16-3 and three, and the favorites, according to Kim Bomb, to win the Pac-12. So, like, as long as we're going to acknowledge Kentucky, Duke, Gonzaga are all struggling relative to expectations because – Hey, what are you going to do? They lost a whole bunch and their freshmen aren't great. Sean Miller lost a whole bunch. His freshmen ain't even in uniform. It's a great point, and Sam is certainly our voice of the Pac-12 overall, given his location. But And I do want to also add, okay, and I think we, you know, especially if they can beat Cal, that's just a very, we've got a very nice Saturday coming up. And Arizona at Cal, to me, is a top three game for me to watch just because, Cal's got to really have like a signature win and they get that game at home and they really need to be Arizona. But get this Arizona's three losses. Okay. A neutral by four to Chris Dunn in Providence at, yeah. when Providence was at its peak. Total of nine and, points. Yes. And, and the two losses. Okay. The, the, the dreaded roadie to LA, they lose at UCLA only by three and they lose in quadruple overtime yeah. against a USC team that's tracking to make the NCAA tournament. So all things considered here, Sean Miller is building not getting ahead of myself. I'm just saying he is now building a coach of the year candidacy if yeah. Arizona continues to do this when you because I'll be honest, GP, the Ray Smith thing was totally out of my mind. I even forgot about that. Imagine like and he was a guy that a lot of people thought if he played this year and was healthy, like uh, he's got NBA talent and could be like mm-hmm. really that much of an impact player. They don't even have him. Yeah. So it is it is pretty astounding that we look. You up, guys haven't even mentioned Caleb Tarzuski being out for a month. It's insane. Yeah. So let's recap it real quick. Arizona lost four starters off last season's team and three of whom are in the NBA right now. Yep. Uh, Tarzuski missed eight games earlier this season. Ray mm-hmm. Smith hasn't played at all. Five-star recruit. Lonzo Trier is now out four to six weeks. Five-star recruit. And they're 16-3 and three projected to win the Pac-12. Like, that is amazing. amazing. And I know the Pac-12 is not great, but still. Like, hey, the West Coast Conference ain't great either, you know? And look what's happening in Gonzaga. You know, dealing with injuries and losing a lot off last year's team. And how about this? I'll take it a step. Oh, and the three losses, to underline what Norlander said, for Arizona, um, you know, two of them are the currently ranked teams, Providence and USC. The other's at UCLA, a place Kentucky's also lost. And the three losses are by a total of nine points. Um, for Sean Miller specifically, if they win the Pac-12 this year, and again, they're projected to do it at this moment, according to Kim Pom, he will have won seven league titles in his past 10 seasons as a head coach, dating back to Xavier. Seven. Best coach not to make the Final Four. I mean, that's not the, even close. It's not in my mind. It's not that, that coaches don't love to wear, but I'm telling you that that is just the straight up truth right now. That he is the one. He's got to break through, and he will break through. I, I I agree. He does have to break through because Arizona fans still like chirp a little bit. Like, where's the Final Four? It's like they get frustrated too. Um, uh, so yeah, he needs to break through, but he he's gonna break through. Like I I would bet everything I own on Sean Miller making a final four in the next five years. Like it's just, you just give yourself enough opportunities. Eventually it happens and and it'll happen Mm -hmm. for him uh, eventually. If not, if not even more in a final four, specifically a 
a national championship. We talked about Kentucky a little bit in the SEC. They were the preseason favorites. Now uh, they're clearly not. In fact, Texas A&M clearly is. And not just to win the SEC. If you go by the Kempom projections right now, uh, they're, they're expected to finish 15-3 and three in the SEC. I don't know if it'll happen. I'm just saying that's what the projections are right now. Um, projected to finish 15-3 and three in the SEC and win the SEC by three games. In other words, run away with it. Not just win it, run away with it. Sam, I know you're working on something on Texas A&M. How did Billy Kennedy uh, get this to this point? Yeah, I mean, the whole story of like his last five years in College Station is really interesting because you remember the whole thing where gets the job, gets diagnosed with like early stage Parkinson's. Sure. Um, and that team that was his first team there had pretty high expectations. They were uh, co-favorites to win the league with Kansas in the Big 12 back then. And obviously things went south from there. They dealt with injuries. Kennedy missed like, you know, I think three or four weeks at the beginning of the year. Yep. And they become a disappointment. But since that point, like they've basically just, you know, steadily grown. They've had, they've gone from four wins that first year to seven wins in the SEC in year two to eight in year three to 11 last year. They're already more than halfway to that uh, this year in year five. And the way they've done it kind of is a, he, he's, he talked to me about like building his own culture around the team and everything. But more than that, like uh, we've talked about this before, I'm sure, but they've really taken back Texas as far as recruiting. Um, if you look at their roster, who they're getting all of their contributions from uh, out of their top nine players, there's only one, I believe uh, Tony Trocamorelis who is from outside of Texas, even he's Colombian. So they, they're not even getting contribution really from any other state than Texas. Uh, he, he's done a great job. They had that great recruiting class last year. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done a really good job on the transfer market with Daniel house and Anthony Collins, obviously um, he's just building slowly and steadily to the point where this is going to be a really nice team, even going forward into the future, I think. Um, and then as far as their team this year, they're not, he, he, he gave me a funny answer. Like, I guess we're just boringly good as far as why they aren't really getting the national right. publicity that you would expect. And, you know, from a national narrative perspective, I kind of get that, you know, it's a senior heavy group. Uh, they're ninth in defensive efficiency. So that's where they hang their hat. Uh, they don't really have like a potential all American, right? They share the ball as well as just about everyone in the country. They're fourth uh, in percentage of field goals assisted this year. So it's, it, it's a full team effort that, uh, really deserves more publicity around the country, in my opinion. And that's why I'm writing about it. For yeah, Friday. Well, I think what you have to do to get, like, you hear this all the time, like, why aren't people paying more attention? And I, you have to beat like, you know, people, when people look up and notice it's when you knock off somebody really at the, at, you know, high level, you know, like when did people really start looking at West Virginia and going, wow, they might be really good. When, sure. they, when they beat Kansas, right? When they beat Kansas on national television. And so we'll, we'll note though, Texas A&M has five top 50 wins. I know, no, 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 no. Listen, dude, uh, I've got everyone, a... but Villanova and GP's like, I know GP, man, who's every third, night I do this the second. No, I've, I've got them ranked seventh in the country. Like the resume yeah. is solid, but what, but when your most impressive victory is probably a win over Baylor. Yeah. Even though Baylor is like alone atop the big 12 standings right now, yeah, which yeah. is remarkable. Um, you know, like they, they, you don't have that type of win that like really registers right now. But they do get a game against Iowa State um, uh, next weekend, and then of course a Kentucky win registers 
whenever it happens. And the good news for them is they get Iowa State at home and they get Kentucky at home. So this is and South Carolina and they get South Carolina at home. Right. So like the schedule sets up for them to really run this thing. And um, uh, I I don't only think they're the SEC favorite. Like I think they can reasonably set a goal to maybe end up in a final four. Again, we've got to put four teams in the final four. Um, You know, why not them? Uh, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are hitting uh, real quick here. Uh, you're hitting on a lot of stuff that exactly. Okay. They only play Kentucky once they get Kentucky on their home floor. They get South Carolina on their home floor. Those are the only two legitimate sec contenders that they have. The Iowa state game is going to be really intriguing. That's going to be next weekend on the home floor there. They have a, a great opportunity here. I think with A&M, the general public is not going to buy in. Because Kennedy is not a flashy coach. He's not a name coach. Doesn't throw out big-time splashy quotes or anything like that. No one knows who's on the team. They haven't been good in forever. And then last time they were good, a guy named Billy Clyde was was coaching them. So it's been a long time. That's not to say that they can't. Shout out to Billy things. Clyde. I know. I, I think they can. <laughs> That's think not that necessarily they, fair either, by the way. What do you mean? That Mark was the last Turgeon. time they – What? Mark Turgeon was after Billy Clyde. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, they were good. The last time they were truly nationally relevant on a major scale was when Clyde was there. I feel like you're shortchanging Mark Turgeon right now. I'm not. Listen, Turgeon did did a great job, but, you know, let's be real here. I mean, Turgeon did a nice job, but the last time. Turgeon went 24 and 9 in 2011, went 24 and 10 in 2010. They make a second weekend in the NCAA tournament when he was there. Stop nitpicking. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not against these things that Turgeon feels, did. I'm, feels like I'm you're against bringing, Mark I'm bringing the, the 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 widespread national fan perspective here. I think two that point losses to the Texas Kevin Love Russell Westbrook team, and he's just shooting down Mark Turgeon. Finish I think tenth, that Texas A&M should be taken seriously, but I don't think people will because they have not been good in a long time. It's not a traditional basketball school. They don't have a star right now, but Te- people should be buying in on A&M because they are legit. Read Sam's article at CBSSports.com. Texas A&M finished 10th in Ken Palm in 2010 in Norlander. If hey, anybody should know that, it should be you and Ken Palm. That's a, that's, a, that's a great job. In 2008, they lost by two in the NCAA tournament to that Russell Westbrook, uh, Kevin Love team with like Darren Collison and stuff. What do you like, want? What, 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 what do you want them to do, Norlander? Apologize to Mark Turgeon. I will not. No, before we proceed, it's time for you to apologize to Mark Turgeon. What am I apologizing for, GP? For completely erasing him from the history of Texas A&M basketball. I'm not erasing him. I'm just saying on a national level, they didn't register when he was there. All right. Hey, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Fair uh, enough. And shout out to AC Law the fourth. Okay. Uh, I, love a- <laughs> I love AC Law. Okay. So um, the biggest game this weekend, and then we'll get out of here, is Oklahoma at Baylor. Sam, Matt, either one of you, I'm going to invite you to publicly back me on this. Here's what I submit. If Oklahoma wins at Baylor on Saturday, uh, the Sooners will be at that point. Let me make sure I've got everything right here. Uh, the Sooners at that point will be 16-2. and two. They will have six top 50 Ken Palm wins. And the only two losses will be at Kansas at, and at Iowa State. In other words, they'll be 16-2, and two, tied atop the Big 12 standings, and they'll have six top 50 wins, according to Ken Palm, and no losses outside of the top 20. They should stay number one in the country, even though they lost earlier this week at Iowa State. And I know the alternative is to push North Carolina to number one. And I think North Carolina is great. If you ask me to pick a national champion, I would pick North Carolina. But North Carolina will not have, if Oklahoma wins Saturday at Baylor, North Carolina will not have a better resume. Oklahoma will have six top 50 wins. North Carolina will only have four. 
uh, uh, Oklahoma will have no losses outside of the top 20. North Carolina will have two, including one to a Northern Iowa team that's now ranked 118th. Am, am I right? Sam, I'll start with you because I think you're smarter when it comes to this stuff. Am I, <laughs> <laughs> am I right to submit if Oklahoma wins at Baylor, AP voters should keep the Sooners number one in the country on Monday? So, yeah, the only team that I was thinking about could have an argument would be Villanova. But then you remember that Oklahoma beat Villanova by 23 on a neutral floor. So, yeah, I would say that I would probably have no problem with keeping Oklahoma there. I would say Villanova beats Providence. Villanova would have seven top 50 wins uh, at that point and just the two losses to top 10 teams. Yeah. And you could probably make an argument that the resume is better for Villanova than it is for Oklahoma. Sure. But again, you lose by 23 on a neutral floor to the team that uh, you're competing with. That right. kind of overstates the resume at that point, right? I think so. Norlander, you want to agree with the smart people or disagree again? I Are you kidding me? I agree fully. You love okay. Buddy here. I know you love this Buddy here. It's not just that. I just I, – I hate the – Group think that usually goes along with, okay, team lost, drop them. These right. team didn't lose. They must move up. Right. That doesn't always have to be the case, especially when you get to late January and you have enough of a, a resume to truly compare and see what you know how, how each team's dossier, so to speak, stacks up against each other. So, yes, Oklahoma should be number one. I have great hesitation that that will actually happen. I don't think it'll happen because, like you said, nope. AP voters are dumb. That's why I do the poll. Not all, not, put, not, let me be clear, not all of them, but uh, enough of them where I can do the poll attack successfully every single week. So I don't think it'll happen, but it, it should happen, and I'm glad you guys. We are on record on the Ion College Basketball Podcast uh, suggesting as much. So remember, um, oh, like, and, and to your point about, hey, a team loses. They, they, they don't always have to drop if they lose. Uh, last night, USC lost at Oregon. I had them 20th in the top 25 and one yesterday morning. You know where I have them today? 20th. You want to know 20th. why? You know why? I looked at their resume and I said, first off, a team ranked 20th probably ought to lose at Oregon. And they played them competitively. I know it was it was double digits for a while, but they, it was a single digit game at the end. And then secondly, I started looking at the, the teams I have below them, Arizona, Notre Dame, uh, Dayton. Wichita State. I'm like, why? Like USC's resume, even with this loss at Oregon, probably in at least reasonably can can be interpreted as a resume that's 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 still superior to the teams I have below them. So I'm not just going to draw. Wait, 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 wait. Hmm. We we just talked for like five minutes about how Arizona is probably the favorite in the Pac-12, and you yeah. have Arizona below USC. I think USC. I could I could argue the resume. If you want to argue that, listen, I won't pick a fight with somebody who tries to tell me Arizona. Is, is better than um, than USC. But Arizona's resume, uh, they do have a loss outside of the top 50, that is to UCLA, and they have sure. a head-to-head loss, even though it's on the road, to USC. And they only have, you ready for this? We What we talked about mostly with Arizona is that they don't really have bad losses. They also don't have great wins. Yeah, um, that's fair. They, they've only beaten one top 50 Ken Palm team, that's Gonzaga. You look at USC's resume, they've got a win over Wichita State. I know it's a shorthanded Wichita State, but it's still a win over Wichita State. They've got sure. a win over Arizona, so they've got more top 50 wins. And more sub-50 losses. One more. One more sub-50 loss. So, like, listen, it's very, very close, but I, I, I guess I would, I'm doing here a little bit what you were saying you would probably do with Villanova, Oklahoma. The resumes are kind of similar. I'll go sure. with who won the head-to-head. That's sort of my logic here. The resumes between USC and Arizona, they're similar enough 
where I'll give the slight edge to the team that won the head-to-head meeting. But uh, again, this ain't the type of thing I'd fight over in the poll attacks. Like if you, if you want yeah, to, yeah, Arizona over USC is perfectly reasonable. I think I can justify USC over Arizona as. I uh, think you would way. probably, if you were in the AP poll, I think you would have Arizona lowest of anyone in the country. Yeah, I think I do have them undervalued. I, mm-hmm. I, I can acknowledge that. But I could also, on paper, I could justify it by starting, sure, by, sta- by starting with the fact they've only got one top 50 win over against, and it's over a Gonzaga team that isn't very good. So, like, yeah. um, I could justify it. But if somebody asked me, gun to head, do I really think there are 20 teams in the country better than Arizona? I, I don't know that that's uh, true. But we can, we can debate this another day. Remember, you want to subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, you can do that at iTunes. And you should because it's the quickest way to get your – Uh, hands on the latest episode go do that and then we will talk again uh on sunday night let's talk again sunday night i'll see you guys then all right all right hey norlander go get you uh some bread and milk if that's if that's that's really what you want to eat while you're snowed into your stupid home i'll see you guys later i gotta go bye